podcast listeners, I got to be honest, you know, I, I can be uh, a bit of a salesman. I can be a bit of a likes, likes the story to be a good story in the world. Um, you know, occasionally I'll say uh, maybe, maybe deal with life in extremes, but I, I, I cannot emphasize this enough. This is not an extreme. Jeff Royce, who is a guest on this episode, who we recorded this podcast together, is one of the most genuine, amazing just human beings and 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 men on the planet. I, I just every time I hang out with him, he's always cool, calm, collected, just willing to help, willing to reach out, willing to connect, willing to introduce people, and just just a phenomenal human being. We may or may not occasionally play a little golf. We may have a beer on the golf course and just you know shoot the breeze a little bit as well too. But he's a fantastic human being, a fantastic life story. For any of those people out there who are struggling with the idea of bouncing around different careers and not exactly know what the next career may be, this podcast is certainly worth it because Jeff has had a very interesting background and yet has arrived at knowing exactly who he is and the influence he's having on the world. So Jeff, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Just so stoked to have you in my corner and for me to be in your corner as well, too. So thank you. Thank you, my friend. Jeff, thanks so much for being a guest on this podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for the invite. I'm I'm ashamed to say that we're not doing this over a beer or two on the golf course or something like that, but we're sitting in different parts of the country recording this. So when the summer comes around, we'll have to change that. But thanks for doing this. <laughs> well, no, I appreciate you saying that. And uh, of course, it's sunny out. So today's the day to get out, at least not with carts, but um, seeing as how you're the last person I played golf with last fall, um, and we know how that resulted, uh, I got to get you back out there. <laughs> I don't remember if you paid up your uh, paid up your bet on a beer, but we'll see. We'll see. So <laughs> I don't know well, about this... that. I paid for it in my pride. I know. <laughs> well, this is awesome. Obviously, we uh, we've got a, we've got a fun relationship outside of just you know chalking it up on a podcast. But for the listeners out there, you have uh, you have a very interesting background, which I love because so much of the audience that we we speak to is people who have no idea what they want to do with their life, and you found a way to do so many different enjoyable things. So so many different projects, ideas, concepts, and taking those to life. So would you be just willing to share a little bit of your story and sort of what's led up to today? Yeah, of course. I appreciate you saying that. Um, and that's that's why I gravitate to hanging out with more people like yourself because other more rigid people look at my my career and think I'm a little bipolar, which is not the case. I guess that's just, that's more of a true entrepreneur. But um, yeah, just, you know, real quick, my background, I grew up uh, in Grand Rapids. I went to high school and in college, I went to um, Campbell's College and Lawrence Tech as a 3-2 engineering program. And the reason why I did that was I got the opportunity to play basketball at Kalamazoo. And Kalamazoo is also uh, very well known for their foreign study program. And for someone growing up who had never even been on an airplane to travel out of the state once in, once in his life, that was, that was a really, really big deal. And to this day, the two greatest experiences I had from college were playing basketball and competing and making friends and lifelong friends, some old teammates. And the chance to go study in Spain was just life changing. I mean, it was just, you know, you live with a family that doesn't speak English. You take classes that are half in Spanish, half in English. You travel on the weekend. It, I mean, it was, it was very, very educational, very defining for what I was going to do moving forward as far as just feeling comfortable with jumping outside the box. And so then, you know, I get done with school and an old teammate of mine uh, was working on a degree down in Auburn and, that he'd moved to Atlanta if I got a job and I was fortunate enough to get a job. So I moved to Atlanta and spent the next handful of years doing work in environmental and civil engineering consulting and found over time, I just wasn't, I was enjoying it, made a lot of friends, love Atlanta, uh, but I just wasn't 
wasn't overly fulfilled with the work the day to day. And um, a very close friend of mine's father uh, was a 40 year career person at Ford. And he spent his last 20 years heading out Ford land development. He's actually their first president convinced me I need to get an MBA. And he said that so many doors would open up with an engineering degree combined with an MBA. So I went ahead and got my MBA at night doing a part-time program. Um, I don't know if I necessarily recommend that route because it's, it's a grind when you're working all day and then you go to class for a couple hours a night and then you got homework. Um, but I did that and that led to me getting my first real estate development job. And ironically enough, the company that hired me was a growing development firm. And one of the requirements to hire you as a developer was you had to have an MBA. So, you know, I get asked a lot, what, what was the value of the MBA? What did I learn? And, you know, coming from an engineering background, I, you know, I learned a lot on the accounting and the finance because I was not exposed to that. The other classes were, they're okay. Um, but it's the opportunities that created. And in this case, it was a life-changing opportunity and it, it worked out really well. So I joined up with them just at the right time of the uh, booming economy, uh, development and in particular condo development in Atlanta was relatively new. So got a chance to work on a lot of projects in Atlanta and Nashville and as far west as Austin. And we're starting one in Phoenix when the economy 08, 09 happened and everything fell apart. And, you know, just like around the country, certainly here in Michigan, same thing happened with real estate in Atlanta. Um, market just disappeared. It just turned off the lights and it was done. So had absolutely no idea what I was going to do. And a friend of mine suggested we buy the small medical equipment uh, retail store just outside Nashville with the idea we'd actually move our families there. And it was it was less about me, you know, knowing anything about the industry as I was relying on my friend, but it was more, I literally, there's nothing else to do. So to me, there was no risk. The risk actually was sitting around not doing anything. So, you know, we couldn't move our families up there because you couldn't sell a house during that time. So we commuted every Monday uh, went up, drove the three hours and stayed through Friday, um, you know, working all day, sleeping in the warehouse at night and turning the business around and growing it and flying around the country doing business development. And over time, we uh, were able to create enough value that we found someone that bought it and, you know, sold for a profit, not high finance, but it was definitely worth our time. And at that same time, we had our second child back in Atlanta and after selling the business, had a decision to make where we're going to you know, stay in Atlanta and I was not going to get back into real estate or, you know, if there was time to move, now was it. And so we looked all over the country and we just realized we really, at the end of the day, wanted to be by a set of grandparents for the grandkids, just for that experience. And so my wife's from Florida. So I did what's still to my, still to this day, my best sales job. I convinced someone raised in Florida that um, Michigan winters aren't that bad and we should move up here. So we, we moved up here about seven years ago and literally moved up here without an opportunity, just with the idea of this is where we wanted to, you know, just raise our family. So I moved up here and um, like I said, about seven years ago and just went into full mode networking and just meeting people. And it wasn't about asking, Hey, are you hiring? It was more asking what's, what's your take on West Michigan? Is it rebounding? Is, are you optimistic about the future? No one having grown up here, what was here previously and the overall um, tone was very optimistic and you you were seeing some of the changes that are result right now um, in West Michigan and I was fortunate enough to meet a person by the name of Kevin McKeeran who was at the time of Grand Valley and was in charge of helping reinvent 
uh, previous uh, life science incubator that was that had kind of stalled out and it was just kind of put on hold to rebrand and refresh. And so um, I partnered with him on that. And at the end of the day, we created what's called GR Current and opened it up beyond life science, anything that was classified as high technology, just you know, from a technology side. And over a year and a half, grew that from half an intern to, I would, at the end of the day, we had a staff of about 10 people. We had two offices and did a lot of work with uh, other entities in the area, in particular Star Garden, as well as MEDC and statewide, Ann Arbor Spark, all the way up to the UP, and had a lot of fun and made a huge impact. And I feel very fortunate that we had such a great team and everyone's on the same page. And you know, at the end of the day, GR Current provide a lot of value to the area. Understand that you know we're still a nonprofit, so we were not a fund. We did not invest in companies. We were there to assist, and so we were able to somewhat successfully figure out you know, and talking to entrepreneurs, helping them identify what what they needed for their next step, and make the introduction, and then we made a habit of getting out of the way, and and it was more. Of, a feeling from my side, you know, we ran workshops for entrepreneurs, but my feeling was like the, the successful entrepreneur, they, they know what they're doing. They know what they want to do. They're just one, two, three introductions away from really making a difference and really getting some traction. And maybe that's a partner, maybe it's a bank, maybe it's an investor, maybe it's a corporate partner. It varies. And so we would just sit down and help them identify, hey, you know what, you need to meet fill in the blank. Do you know someone there? We absolutely do. We're gonna make an email introduction and then you let us know how it goes. And that worked really well. And so we had a lot of fun with that. Did some out of the box um, events and opportunities. And again, just spreading the word. And after about a year and a half, um, I actually got recruited to um, take over as president of a local tech company. And it was at a time that I looked at GR Current from a leadership side that I felt, I had I had grown as as big as I could and taken as far as I personally could. And I was very interested in this challenge of not being a tech person, but leading a 20 plus year company and helping them reinvent and adjust to what you know the business world needed today. So I left GR Current and went to this company and served in that present role for about four years before leaving going on my own a year ago, or a year and a half ago, I should say, it was the idea initially, I was helping a handful of startups consulting with them. And then that quickly turned into a real estate development opportunity, which I truthfully had written off. I was not expecting to get back into that, um, just because I was used to doing large metropolitan areas and met my current partners that live in the Lakeshore. And we've got a couple of projects in the hopper. Our biggest one is a big seven acre mixed use project. And downtown Muskegon that we were planning on breaking ground before 4th of July. So say late June and then with the coronavirus, that's obviously delayed it. Project still happening. It's just like everything else in the world, everyone just kind of hit pause. So um, working on that and have a couple other smaller projects as well and just thoroughly enjoying it. So that's, I say I was going to give a quick summary. It wasn't too quick, but um, that's the highlight of what my career has looked like and where I've what I've done and where. No, I love it. I love it. And 
you know, I, I, I first want to, I've got questions kind of throughout it. Number one, on the environmental side, I, I got to ask, just because this is so foreign to me, when you're in like environmental science and like what you were doing, that was in Atlanta, right? Yes. Yep. What, what is like a day-to-day of an environmental scientist? Like when you're, when you're involved in that, what, or environmental engineering, what's sort of a day-to-day thing that you would do? What's like a standard day in the life? Yeah, no, it's a good question. And you know, I can, there's, I can answer in three different ways. My first job was actually with the state environmental protection group. And that role day to day was just assisting counties and making sure they were abiding by the environmental laws of the state of Georgia. And so on that varied all over, but in my case, I specialized in particular uh, environmental issues surrounded by landfills. And so it's everything from the high tech full on, uh, liner systems that are collecting um, gas for distribution to the rural landfills that are so poor they can't even afford dirt. So this is not joking all, they would cover the the daily trash with peanut shells. And so you you covered it from every which way and you, you learn quickly, even coming from a state level side, you know, it comes down to relationships and you're working with people and saying, listen, I get it, you know, your, your, your county budget is pretty tight. So let's figure out what we can do to keep you in compliance that makes sense, that's practical from a financial side. So that was on the state level. And then as a consultant, I worked for a civil and environmental consulting group. And that was more remediation systems, helping design, um, install them. And that would be, I mean, your, in that case, your client would be industry as well as local municipalities. We did a lot of work with the Atlanta airport. Um, in particular with uh, environmental cleanup of their stormwater runoff, which you can imagine, you know, when it rains out there and with all the fuel tanks out there and that mixes in there can cause some environmental issues. So you, you work with that. And then last job I had, which was a lot of fun was, um, you know, general contractor, your, your typical general contractor that builds buildings. This was a general contractor that built uh, groundwater and, and soil remediation systems. So we did everything from the big wastewater treatment plants to, smaller soil remediation plants, um, systems that were they just specific to a site. And so in that case, that role was, we were the designer, we were the estimator, um, we bid it out, and then as project manager, oversee the installation of it, as well as the monitoring after it. So that one was an all-encompassing. And so um, that was a fascinating job. It, that, was, that, that job was a lot of fun. And, and we did work all over, really all over the country from large Superfund sites in New Jersey to specific company, uh, say like dry cleaners, that dry cleaners notorious uh, for causing environmental issues. And, you know, we would uh, design and implement uh, remediation equipment to clean up the soil or the water, a lot of times both. How much of your experience in that space carries over to the way you look at a real estate project today? I mean, I got to imagine there's a ton of overlap. Uh, yeah, there is. As a matter of fact, um, you know, that's example is Muskegon site. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we've done our phase one, our phase two is an old foundry site. So it, if you can have it as a contaminant, we have it. Um, it's safely capped. It's been capped for 15 plus years. So it's the site is perfectly safe, but it comes into play for, you know, not just what we develop on there, but how we go about it, both is if we have to remove soils for foundation uh, installation, you know, what do we do with those soils and working with the state environmental group, 
in their rules and regulations. And then understanding what the costs of those are so you can plan on those in your pre-development budget to make sure that the overall deal works. Now, the good side is that, you know, it's, it's a brownfield facility, so you qualify for brownfield credits, and that helps on the financial side. But, you know, really, when you're looking at real estate development, both my civil and my environmental um, education and experience is invaluable on the development side, because it's, I mean, that's, I used to work for the developers. Now I'm actually doing the development. So I, I fully understand everything that goes into that. That's what I was going to ask. So you, you've a couple times made the statement of like working with the state or, you know, helping uh, different budgetary side of things. And then I, I think, you know, obviously knowing your story and you and I've spent a lot of time together knowing sort of the entrepreneurial background. How, how do you like when I hear working with the state or I hear uh the compliance side of things as an entrepreneur, this sounds terrible. And yes, it's on a recording, but I just like straight up roll my eyes because instantly I'm like, wow, nothing is ever going to get done. This is just going to come to a screeching halt. So how have you balanced sort of the entrepreneurial, let's get things moving, let's get things going, the excitement of the next thing, the next thing versus like sort of the quote unquote classic generalization, but like the gatekeeper approach to so much, you know, state level mandated side of things. How have you sort of balanced both the relationship side of things, but also like trying to get things done? <laughs> that's, ah, that's such a good question. I'm glad we're being recorded. Is this a couple beers in the golf course sort of answer? <laughs> yeah. Not <in> the recording? <laughs> yeah, I think this is, goes from the beers to the bourbon. Um, <laughs> it's uh, No, it's a good question. And, it, and you know, it falls into... You know, I was thinking the other day about this. I haven't used this analogy in some time, but, you know, people that aren't familiar with, familiar with the real estate development world, you know, I say the best way to describe it is every single real estate project is a startup. The difference is, so you've got your startup and your, your end goal is, you know, someone to buy you out, have a thousand employees, keep it for however long, but, you know, that's to each their own. You know, the only difference is on a real estate development project, once it's built and occupied as a developer, you're done. But otherwise, it's still a startup. So you've got to look at, you have to have a business model. You've got to work with outside vendors. You've got partners, investors, banks. The regulatory side is different. Well, I'd say that's probably about the only thing that's different than a, your typical startup. And so you look at just, you know, what you do in everyday life and you, you, you worry about what you can control and what you can't control. Just, you don't worry about it. You got a plan around it. So you go into it going, all right, you know, at the state, even at the federal level, they have their procedures in place and you are not going to change it. I mean, it's crazy going and say, well, I'm going I'm to squeeze this one through. You're not, you're going to make it worse. So you, you take it for what it is and you build that in accordingly and say, okay, I want to break ground by such and such date, work backwards. Here's what needs to get done not just on the regulatory side, but also on the lending side, the investors, the design, it goes on and on and on. And now that's your time frame. And then you build in cushion, understanding, listen, even the state says, yeah, it's a six month process. You're like, man, that's awesome. They're playing on nine or 12 just to be safe. And it, if it happens, it doesn't six, that's awesome. And if it doesn't, you've planned on it. So you're not sitting there, you know, getting, getting worked up and blaming them for something when really at the end of the day, it's on you. You know, it's it's easy to say, well, this would have gone faster if it wasn't for the state, blah, blah, blah. No, no, that's that really fell on you because you didn't do your homework. And that's why that's the way I approach it. I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it, you, you can't force it. Yeah, I like that. So I've got, I think we've talked about this. I've got a buddy who owns a, a, a massive film studio down in Atlanta, and they he rents the film studio literally to, you know, Sony, Pixar different places for them to shoot film excuse me shoot films at his studio and 
you know, when I, every time I've been with him and he's given a tour, people are just in awe and they're asking the question of how could you ever have dreamed to build this? And, and when him and I are just hanging out and, and I'll, you know, I'll point out a skyscraper and I'll say, walk me through the real estate side of things of developing a skyscraper. And he has the ability to think at that magnitude of things. And one thing that I'd love just for you to dive into a little bit is the person who's like, man, I would love to own a building or I'd love to build a building or I'd love to build a neighborhood or get into the real estate development side of things. But I don't have, you know, the hundreds of millions of dollars that it takes or however much money or blah, blah, blah. How what's sort of the misconception about like a standard real estate project that the average person could go do or at least go approach, you know, to, to consider that feels out of out of reality? You know, what sort of, do you get the question? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it, and I get asked that a lot and you know, it's, it's, it's funny because my wife will give me a hard time when we're, you know, at networking events or meeting new people and people ask, you know, all right, so what do you do? Oh, real estate development. Oh, really? So what does that involve? You know, I don't, I don't feel the need to talk for 20 minutes, explain. (laughs) I get that. So I, you know, I hit it, you know, how can I explain in 60 seconds? And in my mind, I'm doing an awesome job. And she's over here and earlier on, she's like, that person didn't have a clue what you're talking about. I'm like, how could they not? I just explained all that. Like, you didn't explain anything. I'm like, all right. It's like trying to explain a tech startup. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it is. And I, I will say that, you know, again, there's a lot of similarities, you know, obviously certain tech startups, you know, you can bootstrap and, you know, and, and sometimes you get to a point where you need to take on investors to scale up other times you don't have to, or you made a decision not to, it's to each their own. On the real estate side, you need money, hands down. And, you know, from bringing on other investors, you want to be able to show that you've got, you know, some money, so you're risking something. But, you know, the rally, the rally is that, I mean, you've got to raise the money, you know, depending on the size of the project, of course, if you're talking about, you know, say, a, a, well, let's say even like a, a small office building that's being built out and it's a half million dollar project, you, know, you still probably need to raise some money, maybe not. But when you get on the bigger projects, you just, that's part of the deal. You say, okay, well, you know, we're doing a, say a 75, 25 split where it's 75% senior loan, 25% investors. So the investors put that package together and you run the numbers and you say, okay, here's the returns I can show. And you need to make sure that those returns are appetizing enough for investors to say, I want to invest with you. Now the chicken and egg scenario is, have you ever done this before? No, I haven't. Uh, I don't know if I want to invest my money in you. And so now that's where you go, well, okay, that's fair. Then I need a partner with someone who has done this before and leverage their experience and their portfolio to make this more attractive to people. And so at the end of the day, you're, you're doing, you know, no different than what you're doing. You're building a team. And, you know, it, it's, you know, on the real estate development side, you're building it at a much higher level um, just because there's, there's much more money at play. Um, but it's, it, it's the other thing that people need to understand too, is that it's, you know, in my case, I, I absolutely love real estate development, but it's, it's also probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And I've been involved with startups and in my case, I think it's harder than a startup and why that is it's, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces, but there's so much that's involved with herding cats and personalities and responsibilities and money and timing. And yeah, I mean, but I'm attracted to that. I, I love the idea that I have my to-do list on Monday morning by Monday night, maybe I've gotten through a quarter of it, 
well, my to-do list just doubled. And so you got to, you know, you know, late Monday night, look at the to-do list for Tuesday and move some things around because whatever happened on Monday and that never stops. And that can drive a lot of people crazy. I learned over time, I actually flourish in that environment. I, if I don't have that, I get bored really quickly. So, you know, there's a lot of perseverance. There's a lot of patience. There's pushing. There's no one to hold back. There's, you know, even looking at our Muskegon project, you know, a great example is we were trying to figure out what kind of anchor tenant uh, could we bring into this development? Anchor tenant being that big retail player that people are going to want to come visit, enjoy, engage with. In our case, we're looking at a restaurant. So we're like, all right, what, who could we, uh, who could we convince that they need to have a location downtown Muskegon? And around that same time, uh, Brunswick uh, Bowling reached out to us and we struck up a relationship with them to where we completely changed. Instead of trying to find an anchor tenant, we decided we're going to be our own anchor tenant. And so we created what's will be called Foundry Lanes, but it's a, a bar, restaurant, uh, small bowling facility. And before meeting Brunswick, if you'd asked me if I would be getting into the, the bar restaurant business, that, that, there's no way. But <laughs> we saw the opportunity said, and we learned more and they flew us down to Nashville, Nashville for a national conference. We met a bunch of owners and operators and learned about the business and got very excited. And we're like, hey, we can do this. this. This is cool. And so that's just looking at opportunity and making that, I hate the word pivot, but technically it was a pivot saying, well, let's go this route then. And so you just stay flexible enough to make it through, but you've got to, you got to stick with it too. Yeah. So that's kind yeah. of long-winded. I don't know if that really answered your question. It's, it's, no, I, no, I, it's, it, it, it does because, you know, as, as we've talked about, I mean, when somebody says, okay, explain what you do in a tech startup. Well, how did you ever get into that? Or how did you ever, I mean, it's no different that I had an idea. I'm not a coder. I can't write code. I can't build the backend infrastructure. So I partnered either with a firm or somebody who could do it. And then we took that to, you know, stage one. And then we, because we didn't have the money to sustain it, we looked at some investors who were not afraid to invest in a a, a good idea with some, some, you know, some legs to somebody who's interested in getting in the space and surround ourselves with some advisors who know the space a little bit better and then approach it that way. When you sort of walk it through in that sense, it's like, oh, that makes sense. But when you from the high level say, oh, how did you ever get into a tech startup? Same thing with real estate. I look at, you know, I, I, at some point in my career would love to get involved in real estate, but there's days that I drive by skyscraper. I drive by a, you know, the buildings going down downtown Holland. I, how did you ever even start? What was the first thing that you did? And it's the same exact thing. So just hearing that from, you know, your side of things where you have a really, really great way of bringing things down to earth and, you know, good and bad things that you've done and mistakes you've made along the way, but also how you've, you know, done some things really, really well. I, I just, I, I love hearing sort of that perspective on things. That's fantastic. Yeah. Just build off the skyscraper. So, I mean, that's, you know, at some point that was an empty city block or, there was an old, you know, just an old dilapidated building. Something was there. And someone said, you know what? I think I could do an office building here, 10 story, 20 story, 60 story, whatever it may be. And then you say, okay, I think I can do that. I think that would make sense. It would look good. It would create jobs. What am I going to put in there? And then you start reaching out saying, who's looking to move to downtown or this location? And how big are they? How much space do they need? And then you reach out to them and say, hey, would you be interested in this? And that's how you start the process. So it's no different what you just described your company. You, you had an idea and you're like, all right, I think there's something here. How do I do it? Oh, God, I'm not a coder. All right, well, let me find one. I'm not a developer. All right, I can find one. And it, it's the same thing. It's amazing. So 
um, for for what you're doing like day to day now, what sort of like obviously the Muskegon this Muskegon project has taken up a lot of your time, and you know the the as far as like sort of your quote unquote day to day work life spent spent time doing it, but like as far as the course of your career, you know, do you have sort of a grand vision of like some some check boxes of some things that you'd like to accomplish um, as far as like, just, you know, to scratch the itch of, I want to go do this, or is it you're, you know, focus on one project and then, you know, until that sort of either dries up or becomes a success and, and you can remove yourself, as you mentioned, like with JR current, the leadership was able to manage it without you. So, you, you know, transitioned out. Are you sort of looking at things from like a big vision of what you want to accomplish or is it more sort of taking a project by project, whatever sounds interesting at the time? Yeah, it's, it's a balance. I mean, I, you know, because if, if you're just focused on that one thing you want to do in your life, then you, you can dangerously get close to that, that dreamer category where you don't get anything done. So, you, you know, but if, if you're just hammering out each day and you don't know what you're doing it for, that's self-defeating too. So you gotta, you gotta balance them both. That's one thing I've been big on for years is I do my one, three and five year goals and I adjust them each year based on whatever happened in that year. And so there are a couple of development type projects um, that I would love to do. And I know exactly what they would look like. I just don't know where yet. And I don't know the timing. So, um, you know, and, and I'm big on, you know, I, anything that I want to work on from a development side, I want it to be unique and stand on its own. And I'm not looking to, you know, definitely not looking to recreate the wheel, but I also most definitely do not want to deliver something that has already been delivered. So people go, eh, that's all right. You know, and so it's, I, there's a couple projects that I know in this area, in this area being West Michigan, would be highly successful. And when the time's right, the the property will present itself and I'll jump on it. And, you know, and from my side, I, you know, listen, I'm, I'm a math physics educated person so i you know apparently i excel on that side i'm also i love the creative process but i'm not a creative so one thing that's always been excited to me from the real estate development side is working with architects and interior designers i'm not the one that's going to create it but i can describe to them what my vision is and say here's what i'm thinking here's here's some examples and when you're working with the right person, they get excited and say, oh man, I know exactly what you're talking about. I got to sketch it out and let's play around with it. And that, that's an awesome process. So that's that's one thing that I'm working on that I'd love to be able to do in let's say in the next five years. And so you've got a lot of things that come in to the timing factor, both the economy and you know, land available and what the demographic shifts are. But I keep those in mind. And then also, you know, from a company side, you know, I still help out startups here and there. And I I'm guilty of I kind of a business junkie too. So I, I love the business side of it. And I, I'm fascinated by people that start their own business or have small businesses and what they're doing to stand apart. And, you know, for me, this all leads to, I like to be part of that too, because to me, retirement is different. I mean, I, and certainly this pandemic's fulfilling it as I, I can't, I just can't sit still in that, you know, as a true nightmare not having anything to do day after day after day. So to me, that's what the traditional model of retirement is. And what's cool about real estate and even working with small businesses, you can do that in your quote unquote retirement age, but you're not retired. You're still engaged. You're still working. And that's my, that's my ultimate goal is to be involved with people, with my company, helping others out to where that just never ends. It just goes on and on. 
Yeah. Love that. Love that. Um, one other question sort of on the, on the sort of high level side of things. Um, you, I've, I've obviously made a few introductions to some guys that I, I respect and, but also know that you have, you know, there's some similarities between your approach to life and, and it, the learning side, the doing side, the trying different things side, um, which is just fantastic. And one of the reasons why I enjoy spending so much time with you, but also you've, you've done an amazing job and not just from the people that, you know, we've interacted with, but other people that I've talked to and heard this about, you've done an amazing job at sort of taking on the, the, the walk alongside mentor, not just the executive coach or not just the, Hey, this is what you need to do consultant approach, but somebody who's not afraid to walk alongside as like a mentor with people. Do you mm-hmm. enjoy sort of the mentorship side of things or do you enjoy the doing side of things in your own in like so for example would you get a kick out of helping somebody through a real estate project or would you enjoy being the one doing the real estate project Uh, both um both i mean i um yeah i i I would say both because the the mentoring to me it's you know mentoring is coaching and coaching is everything from you know i coach my kids and youth sports all the way up to mentoring you know people like yourself and in other facets on just anything you can help with and you know especially when when, when you're jiving with the right person the right personality it's just fun i mean you're throwing out suggestions and offering your experience and saying hey you know what take it for what's worth this may help i don't know um and then other times you go if there's a significant need there saying, well, maybe it just makes sense for me to join up and we do it side by side. And I, you know, I'm someone I love getting my hands dirty. I mean, I, I'm not someone that, you know, it's going to be the preacher that says you should be doing this and you should do this. It's not that it's, you know, at the end of the day, I'd rather get my hands dirty, but sometimes it's just, you know, sitting down for the occasional meeting, reviewing certain things, talking some high level strategy and, you know, it never makes sense to join up or somewhere where you're not needed um, on the day to day. So it's, I, I, I do both and I, I absolutely love the both. And it's truly a situational, um, situational basis each time. Yeah. Love that. That's amazing. Well, my favorite question on the planet to ask is, you know, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? And, you know, what is it that sort of drives you for who you are and, and ultimately, obviously what you want to accomplish in this world? But, you know, you you just have a heart for helping people. And, and I've seen that time and time again. So I'd love just to, you know, hear for you. What is it? What is it that drives you and what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's a great question. You know, for me, it's two things. One, you know, I mentioned earlier, I've got my goals and I, I check in on them all the time. And, you know, am I, am I pushing those goals forward? And it's easy because we all have bad days and certainly what's going on now is some days it's just hard to, <laughs> to, to motivate, to find something to do, to find something practical. But, you know, I feel every day, I'm just like, all right, what can I do to get stuff done? Because when I go to bed at night, I just feel that much more fulfilled if I've checked things off a list, knowing I've moved stuff. And the other thing that gets me up every single morning is my family, you know, my two kids, you know, how involved I am with them, my wife, and just, you know, it's certainly on the kid's side, they're young enough that they still, they still uh, dig me around their parents, but we also were smart enough to know at some point, <laughs> not going to want to hang out with us. So, you know, just maximizing that time before it's time to kick them out and send them out on their own. 
That's so good. I love that. <laughs> and I was I was about to say besides uh, besides getting your butt whooped on the golf course sort of thing too, but obviously that's not you know maybe the driving force of the day. <laughs> well, let's, now let's be fair. Now let's say you know, let's, <laughs> let the audience know that that was my last excursion before I uh, had surgery on my hip. So I was I'm at 100 percent now. So let's we'll, we'll we'll keep we'll keep this part of the conversation alive here soon. And also, and also the thing I got to note is that my partner happens to be like a scratch golfer. So I don't know if I helped much. Yeah, he, was, he wasn't bad. That didn't hurt. Yeah, that's good. So, well, Jeff, is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? Uh, this has been, this has been so fun, but obviously I want to give you a chance. Um, I'll include, you know, a little bit of uh, links to, you know, your LinkedIn and socials as well for people who want to follow you and some of the stuff that you're doing. But is there anything else you want to leave the audience with? No, no, just uh, listen, I, it's always fun catching up and we're long overdue to get together in person and we'll hopefully be able to do that sooner than later. I just appreciate the opportunity to, to chat with you and be able to throw out my experience and my background and, you know, for anyone out there that's wanting to do their own thing, just do it. I mean, I, you know, listen, I mean, there's nothing to be afraid of. I mean, the, the, the biggest fear is waking up someday going, I wish I had fill in the blank and you never did. Just go do it. Don't sweat it. So good. So good. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. It's been awesome. Likewise, man. You enjoy uh, the weekend and uh, we will be getting together in person soon. Oh, yeah.